Good morning. Now for our scripture reading this morning. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I gotta ask, did you enjoy passing the peace? Usually, if I do a baptism, I'm glad we baptized Dudley in the second service. If it's in the first service and I'm back there in the baptistry changing room, there are organ pi- the biggest organ pipes are up in there. So when Melinda hits a note, it like shakes up there. It's rather uh, quite the, sen- the sensation. But this, it, during this hour, I'll, all I heard, I, I did hear Brian in a muffled way, say something about passing the peace, and then, whoa, and just a big noise of everybody enjoying community. So that was really cool. I was very blessed by that. Well, this is the third uh, in a four-part series entitled The Spirit in the Church. We talked a lot this year about the Holy Spirit. We talked a lot about the nature of the Holy Spirit earlier in the year, and we wanted to get down to some more uh, brass tacks issues, if you will. And the book of Ephesians really helps us with that. And we've talked about why go to church uh, anyway. We've talked about some other things. Next week, actually, I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare, which I grew up in a church that was very intellectual and sophisticated, and to talk about spiritual warfare was just beneath us. But it's a major thing. Go on a mission trip or two, or maybe study this book, and it's a real thing. And um, I'm looking forward to talking about that in, in here. So that'll be next week. Now, uh, this morning, though, we talk about being a spirit-filled Christian. Uh, Many years ago, a prospective student came by my office at Samford, and uh, she and her mother were there, and they were very excited to be, you know, visiting the school and everything, but all they could talk about, they were just fixated on their youth minister back home, and they kept talking about how he had the anointing. And how he was so spirit-filled and everything. It kept going on and on. You know, I can't believe you haven't heard of him. No, I haven't. Well, he's so anointed and everything, and with the Holy Spirit, right? Yes, he's so anointed. I was like, okay, well, how is that so? And they said, well, for one thing, he gets these words of knowledge, like directly from the Spirit, and he tells people what the Holy Spirit is, is saying through him to, to people. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Is there any other way that he, he shows that he is filled with the Spirit? And they said, well, he does speak in tongues. Sometimes he does it right in the middle of worship, you know, and, and, you know, does that. And it's just so amazing when he breaks into that, you know, and he can interpret the tongues and everything. Okay, well, that's cool. They said one of the coolest things, though, is that every Sunday when he does the youth lesson, he cries. And I was like, okay, great. And, and that shows you're oozing the Spirit. Now, let me say this right up front. Perhaps all of that's legit. Uh, I don't want to invalidate any of that. I have incredibly dear friends and pastors and all who are very uh, more attuned to different gifts of the Spirit that my tradition is not as attuned to, and that's great. But what does it really mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does that look like? And let me ask you the question, are you filled with 
the Spirit. What makes you a Spirit-filled Christian? Really, a better way to put it is, in what ways are you becoming a more Spirit-filled Christian? Because we've got to remember that salvation is both an event and a process. It's an event and a process. Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means with reverence and awe. Why? He goes on to say, because God is at work in you. He hasn't quit working in you. You're still being sanctified as a Christian. You're being uh, made more whole, more full as a disciple of Jesus. Um, uh, when I walk out, uh, do the res- you know my little benediction as I recess out of here, what do I say right at the end? And by the love of God, fully revealed in the face of Jesus, you have been redeemed and, fill in the blank, everyone, you're being redeemed. Thank you. Um, you're being redeemed. You, yeah, you're a Christian if you follow Jesus, but you're also becoming a Christian along the way. But, but there are some who suggest that you really aren't a spirit-filled Christian unless you act a certain way, do certain things, believe a certain way, uh, belong to a certain tradition, maybe even speak in tongues. And again, I'm not invalidating these. They're, they're in the Bible. But, but I do have a concern that sometimes we can be tempted to create an idol out of Pentecost. Let me just put it that way. Uh, we want to regenerate Pentecost, like every time we pray or when we gather together and worship and that kind of thing. And that, is that really what is a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me suggest that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not rising so high, but keeping your boots on the ground. Now, uh, you can uh, follow in, in the outline in your handout, or we got it up on the screen, but, but I want you to start by helping me with this declarative statement. Uh, read the yellow with me, if you would. I am becoming a spirit... No, that means like, you know, you read along with me out loud, verbally and everything, with some volume. Is what, just think of it as passing the peace. You ready? Okay. I am becoming a spirit-filled Christian as each day I incarnate. And by incarnate, that means literally what? To flesh out, Right? to live out, to put into practice in a discipleship manner each and every day. I am becoming a spirit-filled Christian each day as I incarnate, first of all, integrity. Integrity. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what is integrity? Um, you know, some people define it as character. Some say it's when uh, what you do privately is congruous with, with what you do publicly. Uh, some would say it's taking a stand even when it's not popular. All those fit, but is there even a more foundational understanding of what integrity is? If you go to a dictionary, it really captures the meaning of integrity because think of it, integrity is where you can get the word integrated, right? Being a well-integrated person. And this is what the American Heritage Dictionary says. Integrity is what the state of being unimpaired soundness, the quality or condition of being whole or undivided completeness. And I think that's great. That captures integritas in the Latin. It means to be whole. It means to be complete. It means to be sound in all your parts. Uh, Let's look at Ephesians 5.18, because really Paul is referring to a lack of integrity here. Uh, He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit because you'll be less filled if you're drunk with wine, which, by the way, was that an issue in Ephesus? Yes, Ephesus was a popular place where the pagan god Dionysus was worshipped. You've probably heard of uh, that name. I think in Roman mythology it's Bacchus, isn't that right? But Dionysus was worshipped there, and, and it was out of character, actually, not to get trashed at a religious uh, meeting in honor of Dionysus. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Now, the word sotia 
in the Greek means to be whole, complete, to be filled. So what Paul did was just put an A before that, ah, which as you probably know means not or no. So again, uh, do not be drunk with wine because that will make you less whole. You will not be whole then. You won't be full. You won't exude integrity in your life. And that's why Paul uses that word. Now we're helped here with this understanding of wholeness with another passage, and I might have talked about this uh, before, and I honestly can't recall, but, but let's go to it, because I think we're really helped by Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. I should get some of the youth up here, because on beach retreat, don't y'all do the fruit of the Spirit? You want to stand up? Uh, uh, Lala. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Here we go. Okay, let's, okay, all together. If anybody knows this, help them out. The fruit of the Spirit is... Oh, give, give it up. I'm, I'm, I'm moved by the Spirit, by that outstanding. <laughs> Did you feel the love there with that smattering of applause? Yes, it was great. No, uh, we always do that at Beach Retreat. It's always awesome. But again, and, and the, the New Living Translation that I like to use up here, I'm not using for this because this is the way I learned it old school from the RSV Revised Standard. Anybody remember the Revised Standard Version? Published first, I think, in 50, 1952. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it doesn't even say gentleness and self-control. Gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, what is significant about that? Is it singular or plural? But the fruits of the Spirit? No, it's fruit. It's singular. You know, I've always had issues with, you know, if, if you're teaching the fruit of the Spirit and you have a tree uh, or, or trees with multiple fruits on it, that's really not it. It's one big fruit. In other words, I should be working on all of these virtues in my life as a daily disciple of Jesus. And I know that's easier said than done. But that's really pointing us to an understanding of Christian integrity. is to be filled with the Spirit by discipling oneself, being a self-feeding disciple and allowing oneself to be discipled by other people to gain these ingredients which makes a Spirit-filled Christian and one who exudes integrity. Um, it was really cool when uh, uh, Deanna and I led um, a session earlier this year uh, based on Jim Cimbala's book, When God's Spirit Moves. Jim is a pastor up at Brooklyn Tabernacle. And uh, one day we were talking about being filled with the Spirit. And we said, okay, and, and I want you to do this right now. Think of someone who you would say is a Spirit-filled Christian. Who, who comes to mind immediately? Okay, you're, you're thinking of that person now. What words would you use to describe that person? Okay, what, were, just, what are some words that come to mind? It was really neat in that uh, equipping group meeting because we just listed words because people got in small groups and said, well, this person I think is spirit-filled. Here are some words to describe that person. We all got back in a big group and listed those words, and I think almost to, to a word, it was these words here. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. There were a few phrases, but those phrases even pointed to these ingredients to the fruit of the Spirit, that which makes up the singular fruit of the Spirit. And a lot of times it was interesting, people who named people uh, who they see as spiritual, not showy or spectacular people at all, but just people who daily strive to abide in Christ and, and gain knowledge and experience of these virtues. So Now, I know it seems like a tall order, <laughs> Man, i got to work on this all the time, love, joy, peace. Can I just work on a couple of them, leave the others out? I'm just no good at whatever, kindness or faithfulness or whatever. No, you're really expected to be working on all those. Maybe you'll focus on one and then move to another and move to another, but, but we're called to do everything we can to be good disciples 
to really follow that, I've actually had people say, oh, God understands. God's got a grace, so it, it doesn't matter if I'm not so patient. You know, I don't have to have all of these. Well, what you're probably running the risk of doing is rationalizing it into a cheap grace kind of scenario that Bonhoeffer talks about. I remember years ago uh, doing a Bible study with a few pastors in this rural area, and uh, we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and, and the guy who was leading it was this old country preacher, and I, and I asked him, I said, you know, do you think God expects us to be working on all of these areas of the fruit of the love, joy, peace, but does he want us to be working on those, you know, a lot, all the time, or one by one, but really be intentional about it? And I remember him taking off his glasses, and he said, son, how much sin is there in heaven? I said, none, sir. <laughs> He said, how much are you allowed to sin in heaven? Uh, none. He said, well, I su- am I correct that we, we are called to bring the kingdom of heaven down here? Yes, sir. Don't we pray that in the Lord's Prayer? Yes, sir. Well, maybe you and I should get cooking then on being better people and incorporating these in our lives. Yes, sir. Uh, he's right. You know, God knows we cannot be sinless. But we are called to be agents of the kingdom of heaven, bringing the kingdom of heaven down here. And therefore, we are to do everything we can each day to mirror that which is in heaven as, as God's image bearers. Created in the image of God, we got to try to bear that image, reflect that image of God all the more in our lives and be agents of that kingdom. So yeah, we're called to strive to be people of integrity and working on all of these. So we best get working on it. You know, you're becoming a spirit-filled Christian as you do your part to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those uh, through self-control. Uh, then you're being a spirit-filled Christian filled with, I would say, integrity. Secondly, I'm becoming a Christian, spirit-filled Christian each day as I incarnate what? This is very no-brainer. Love. Love. If the fruit of the Spirit, now I would say the fruit of the Spirit is the ultimate sign of being filled with the Spirit I would agree with John Stott, the great evangelical theologian, who said that love is the preeminent grace of the Spirit. I'm thinking, first of all, that's listed first in the fruit of the Spirit. And I would say it's the hallmark of what it means to be an authentic Christian. It's not so much faith or what you believe about the Bible. It's not so much how much you attend church or what your denominational background is. It's, well, what did Jesus say in John 13, 35? I learned it is by this all will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. The NLT says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What does Paul have to say about it in chapter 5 of Ephesians? Let's go to the very first two verses. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with what? Love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Follow his example of love. You know the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people, basically. But I want us to look at one other um, passage that I know you're going to say, yeah, I know that. But again, have we really looked at, at how foundational love is before anything else? If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, what's 1 Corinthians 13 all about? Come on, help me. Love. It's read a lot, what, at, uh, at weddings, right? Uh, and let's look at this again, because Paul was dealing with folks in the, in the Corinthian church who were speaking in tongues, and it was causing so much disorder, <laughs> and he uses three chapters to deal with it. He really doesn't get down to the practicalities of it, 
uh, in, until chapter 14. Chapter 11, all is about being one body. He's just setting it up, saying, now, first of all, let's all get along. We're all one body. And even before he, again, he gets to the issue of tongues and gets real practical about it, in, in chapter 13, it's all about, okay, first of all, we love everybody, right? And that's what it's all about. So, first of all, he says, hey, you Corinthians, all of you there, whether you speak in tongues or not, is tongues the primary sign for being a spirit-filled Christian? Well, what does he say in verse 1? If I could speak all the languages or tongues of the earth and of angels, but didn't have love, but didn't love others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay, maybe the ultimate sign of being filled with the Spirit is uh, you know, uh, having prophetic words, basically sharing the gospel, or uh, maybe having knowledge, you know, more knowledge, spiritual knowledge than anybody else, or having more faith than anybody else. Well, no, all three of those get knocked down in verse 2. If I had the gift of prophecy, that is sharing the gospel, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I would be what? I would be nothing. Well, what about missions? We're, we're a big missional church here. What about missions and serving other people? Is that first and foremost what's important? Well, you go on to verse 3. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. You know, what good is it to serve others, to do ministry, to do missions on behalf of God but not have love? It really amounts to nothing. You know, if you can't love the people you're serving and the people you're serving with, what's the point? Which leads me to a guy named, how many of y'all have heard of Henry Drummond? Uh, Marla Quartz, who's a member here, uh, her late husband Tom, who was president at Sanford before Andy, uh, Westmoreland. Uh, they loved his book called, how many of y'all have ever heard of The Greatest Thing in the World? It's a, it's a wonderful little book about 1 Corinthians 13, just how love is the greatest thing in the world. There's a couple of wonderful quotes he says that I've always so appreciated. He says, for one thing, you will find as you look back upon your life that the moments when you have really lived are the moments when you have done something in the spirit of love. That's really, and, and I think when you look back, that's when you're going to say, those are the great moments of my life. But he goes even further to say that love and life really go hand in hand. He, he says this, uh, on the last analysis, then, love is life. Love never faileth and life never faileth as long as there is love. I really appreciate just how pithy and short and yet how profound that is. So do you live out a spirit-filled life by loving others? And finally, I am becoming a spirit-filled Christian each day as I incarnate, well, integrity, love, and then we'll say gratitude. Let's go back to our focal passage, Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. Let me just read through it one time. Don't be drunk with wine because that will asotia your life, make it less uh, exuding of integrity. It's, it's not whole anymore. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we've done among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I've got to say, as I've talked about some other passages in recent days, Paul is talking more about the corporate body of Christ than he is individuals. He's not talking here so much as individual experience with the Holy Spirit. He's not really talking about that. He's talking about everybody as a whole. Uh, we've talked about that a lot recently. Sometimes in our westernized mindset, we apply all of this to us individually instead of to the corporate body of Christ of which we are a part and we are his temple corporately. I don't want to go back to that sermon that I did, but that's so important to keep in mind. It really has to do with participation in the body. And really, it's interesting because... 
Paul talks earlier in Ephesians about not just being filled with the Spirit, but being filled with Christ and being filled with God. Let's look at some of these. Chapter 1, verse 23. And the church is His body. That's Jesus' body. It is made full and complete by Christ. Not just being filled with the Spirit, but being filled by Christ. Here's another one. May you experience the love of Christ, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God the Father. There's this Trinitarian motif, really, that's going along when we talk about being Spirit-filled. The third one from 4.13, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Again, to be full in Christ, filled with Christ. It's a beautiful depiction, really. It's not just the Holy Spirit working in and among ourselves. It's this Trinitarian understanding of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit filling us. Now, it's the Spirit who mediates that love among us and our love to God the Father, God the Son, just as the Spirit really mediates the love between the Father and the Son. So the Spirit has a critical role there, but it's really about being just full of all three aspects of God or revelations of God. So again, it has to do with the full church. And this has so much to do, obviously, with worship. It's about worshiping in community. This is another reason, I think, why I go to church, what we're talking about here. But remember when I quoted John Piper a couple weeks ago, and I think he's right on target, that worship precedes missions. Worship comes first. What did he say? Uh, Missions exist because worship doesn't. Ultimately, we're going to be worshiping in eternity. For now, we need to do missions because there's not enough worshiping and glorification of God, right? So again, if we haven't learned to be good worshipers here, full of gratitude and praise for God, as Paul says there in that passage, then it really doesn't matter what we do with everything else or how we do everything else. Worship, worship precedes missions. And, and, and praising God and gratitude really is primary. Now, we'll say, sometimes it is on the mission field, so to speak, which is really everywhere, But sometimes it's even worshiping in an unfamiliar place where you can really sense the presence of the Spirit. A guy named Jack Hinton was a pastor and and was leading uh, services at a leper colony on the island of Tobago. And uh, he was going to lead the music and and, uh, preach. And so he gets up there. He said, well, first of all, let's just see if anybody wants to sing any hymns. And he said there was a woman in the third row who stood up. She had, had had kind of her back to him. She stood up and turned around, and he said, to be quite frank, it was the most ravaged, hideous face I'd ever seen. Her nose and her ears were completely gone. Her skin was sagging. It, it was just quite awful. And then he said she slowly raised a fingerless hand and said, I would love to sing Count Your Many Blessings. It's my favorite. And, and as you can imagine, they started seeing it, and Jack just became overwhelmed with emotion and had to walk off. And one of his mission team members went over and put his arm around him, and he said, I, I suppose you'll never sing that song again. And he said, no, I'll sing it. I'll just never sing it the same ever again. And I, and I think about you and me, having been so ravaged in a sense, so hideous, if you will, because of the sin in our life, but all of that redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ Could we not help but desire to sing about counting our many blessings as well? With fullness of gratitude, yes, with fullness of spirit. What does it take to be spirit-filled? Well, yeah, I'd say integrity and love and gratitude. And these are ingredients to being filled with the spirit that are not escapist. 
I fear sometimes that we make, we want to make an idol out of, you know, the, the sovereign, mysterious, holy God of the universe, but we, 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 we try too hard sometimes to want to make him more tangible and touchable and feelable and, and sometimes even reduce him to like a gooey feeling. And God is bigger than that. <laughs> and again, sometimes that happens. I'm not discounting when that happens, but I do worry when we make an idol out of that because it has much more to do with <laughs> being grounded Close with this, W.T. Connor, who was the great Southern Baptist theologian of the first part of the 20th century, taught at Southwestern Baptist Seminary. Uh, his textbook was used for years with the religion department uh, at Samford. Phenomenal book. Uh, I'm going to be talking about it a lot, actually, when I preach about hell soon. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, he had a class one day, real huge class in the little amphitheater, not the little amphitheater, the big amphitheater class there at, at Southwestern. And they started talking about being filled with the Spirit. And what does it mean for a worship service to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean for an individual to be filled with the Spirit? And it really kind of crossed over into talk about revival. What, it mean, what does it mean to really have revival? And he just finally put his hand up because everybody was peppering him with questions. And he just said, folks, revival is not how high you jump. It's how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. So I close with just the simple question, how straight are you walking? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for people who we have seen as mentors who are so filled with the Spirit. They reflect your love. They reflect the love that, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all those aspects of you, celebrate together, but then we are called to be like those ones whom we have such high regard for. We are to reflect your glory, reflect the goodness of your love in our own lives as your image bearers. So we pray that we would understand all the more what it means to be filled with your spirit, to walk in wholeness and integrity, uh, to love one another more fully, and yes, to praise you with fullness of praise and gratitude. And so we gather together here now desiring to be filled by your Spirit, whatever that means for each one of us, that others might be touched by the power of your Spirit through the lives that we live. And we pray that we could commit ourselves most of all to that. That we might go out from this place and be agents of the fullness of your Spirit, that others might gain it, especially those who so desperately, desperately need it. So may we commit ourselves all the more to being your followers and in the leading of your spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen.